Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Friday, February 5th, 2021. On today's episode, we're going to have a spoiler-filled discussion about WandaVision, episode 5, entitled On a Very Special Episode, dot, dot, dot. This is Slash Film Editor-in-Chief Peter Soretta, and joining me on today's podcast is Slash Film Senior Writer Ben Pearson. Hey, what's going on? And from the MCU fan show, we have our Marvel expert, Sean Gerber. Hey, Peter. Hey, Ben. Thanks for having me back. And uh, Brad is not here this week. He had some family issues to deal with, but hopefully he'll be back next week. Uh, we will miss him. But okay, this is an episode, guys. <laughs> There's a lot oh of stuff going on. Yeah. Uh, but before we get to that, let's get to some feedback from previous episodes. Uh, first of all, I want to mention uh, we ran on yesterday's podcast. Ben did some interviews with Randall Park and Jack Schaefer. Uh, the uh, you know star and showrunner of of this series and there's a lot of bits in there so if you haven't listened to that podcast or read it on slash home.com i would highly recommend going over there but i wanted to bring up some stuff from the showrunner interview because uh i don't know there was some interesting stuff there uh first of all she said that the sword name change was indicated by a larger story reason so doesn't just seem like, uh, you know, the MCU, you know, Kevin Feige doing it for, you know, to adapt it to movies. It seems like there, there's something more there. Uh, any thoughts on that, Sean? I think this episode kind of gives that away. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll save it for that. We'll, we'll, certain get, we'll certainly get to that. Um, it was also interesting. Ben asked a question that I proposed about the run times, about how like the sitcoms for 30 minutes. And as we go further into the decades, you know, TV kind of expanded in time. And he asked her, you know, will the runtime of these episodes expand over the course of the season? And her non-answer, I think, is interesting because she said that she's specifically told not to talk about the runtimes. Which to me indicates that they are, right? Like, why would you mm -hmm. be told not to talk about something if it was just like, oh, yeah, every episode is 30 to 40 minutes? 
Right. And I think this episode kind of shows that not so much about the sitcoms getting longer, but because now we have to address both things. We have to address sitcoms and their normal run times, but we also still have to step outside of Westview and show the other side of the curtain. And that's why this episode is the longest one yet is we're having this is the first episode where we really have to spend a lot of time doing both a lot of time in sitcom land and a lot of time outside of it. Yeah. And she also confirmed one of our theories last week that they are actually they're actually exposed to like full seasons or more episodes of the show than what we're mm-hmm. seeing. Like, so obviously we saw that scene where Geraldine was like in the foreground, which was a scene that we didn't see in any of the previous episodes. Mm-hmm. But uh, it was good to have her confirm that because I was very curious, like, how does that work? Do they just watch the same episode over and over again? But no, <laughs> it seems like uh, I guess there's like 24 hours of episodes. I don't know. Who knows? I mean, each day is kind of like a season, right? I mean, I yeah. guess you could say, you know, usually 22, 24 episodes, you get hours in a day, although they're half hours. So you'd really have to have like each day is two seasons. But <laughs> there probably is time where they like actually sleep in Westview. So there's nothing to watch on the show, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, it is remarkable that ever all the information we need to know and all the exciting events happen in the episodes, the only episode of the season that we get to see. Right. Exactly. <laughs> um well you could say these are the ones that aid the most in their investigations these are the most informative episodes and maybe that's why we see sword focusing on those (laughs) uh she also said that when they were making the show or when they were developing the show that they didn't know how the show was going to be released because uh ben asked about like you know would did they anticipate the analysis that the show would get week to week which uh, I know, Ben, you followed that up and she kind of didn't really answer your question. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm reading between the lines. I think she's saying that they initially thought that maybe they would be dropping the whole season like a la Netflix style. Or at least I, maybe I was kind of thinking like maybe in chunks or something like three, um, three episodes at a time. Because um, I really think that would have been maybe a more interesting way narratively to roll this out than what we got. I mean, I, I appreciated especially the first two episodes, just like sort of luxuriating in the full on sitcom stuff. But I think from the response that I've seen online, there was a little bit of like impatience in the fan community in the very beginning. So maybe the plan as it existed in the beginning was to release it in three episode chunks or something like that, just to sort of cut down on that impatience a little bit. But you know, this is also like the pandemic threw everything into (laughs) chaos. So who knows? I will say they they released to press the first three episodes, and I think that was very smart because the end of that third episode kind of hits this into high gear and like kind of you you don't get answers, but you kind of see where we're headed in a mm-hmm. way. And I honestly think they probably would have been better off releasing the first three episodes in a chunk and then run the rest of the season because, you know, some people got really impatient really fast where I don't think that, that was maybe, but I think they kept watching. I mean, yeah. it was tough to watch the episode last night, right at midnight when it dropped because I think <laughs> Disney plus was crashing. So I think a lot of people are signing on and watching the show as soon as they possibly can. So I, I think people stuck it out. Oh, so it wasn't just me that was getting errors. So no, like, not at yeah. all. I actually had to switch from like Roku over to Apple TV because Apple TV probably doesn't have as many people. And so their Apple TV OS version of Disney yeah. plus was actually working fine. Yeah. Well, I was on Apple TV and still got there. So. Really? Okay. Yeah. As soon as I switched to Apple TV, it was smooth sailing for me. But Roku yeah. was done. Uh, the other interesting thing I want to bring up that's really not about the show, but I think about Marvel and Disney in general is 
uh, Ben asked this question of like, you know, what personally appealed uh, to Jack as like, a you know, as a filmmaker about, about this property, about WandaVision. And she really didn't like, she seemed like she was, I don't know, like she was not expecting this question. Like she, she admitted that she has not been asked this question. She seems tied swiped by this question of like, what was the personal connection and appeal to this property? Which is interesting because I feel like, you know, if you talk to, if you read any of the interviews from Sundance that's going on right now, I bet you every single filmmaker gets that question and has an answer for that question. Mm-hmm. But uh, when you're working on a Marvel movie it's a, or Marvel TV show, it's a little different. I remember I was telling Ben, I, I, I was on the set of uh, John Favreau's Jungle Book. And I remember asking him, I was like, you know, what, is, what makes this a John Favreau movie? And he seemed like totally like did not know what to say like he he was like it was like i want to say it was like not a question that like ever occurred to him because obviously you know he's making the movie (laughs) but it's just interesting when you're working in this like big disney machine with like big properties franchises that like that's not something that is on the top of your mind i think it's something that i'm not surprised that it was a question that she was a little surprised by because I think to Ben's credit, that's not the question that usually gets asked. A yeah. lot of people are trying to pin down their theory questions and other scoop questions that really we all know they're not going to answer anyway. And so when somebody asks you a question, you might actually be able to answer. I could understand where you'd be surprised by that because uh, it's not that common in interviews for people working on Marvel projects. But then also I'm sure for her, that question is difficult to answer because the more specific she is about it, the more, I'm sure she knows what's personal about it to her, but I, I think if she <laughs> reveals that, then she's going to reveal something about the show that she doesn't want to, which is why yeah. she was relieved by the clear directive runtime question. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And by the way, this is not a me criticizing her in any way. I just think it's interesting. I think it's indicative of, yes, not only, you know, how these films get films and TV shows get made, but also probably the press that she's normally having to deal with um and the questions she's normally having to deal with uh ben any thoughts on any of that um well I, you know when i asked the question i was really thinking about you know I, I like something like james gunn and the guardians movies i feel like there's so much of him as a filmmaker that is like very obvious in there and i was just wondering because i'm not super familiar with jack schaefer's work um if like you know i got a better sense of her as a person if some of her personality might be you know visible in in the dna of the show that we've seen so far but i think sean is right like you know it's really tough to even answer that question because there's so much of the show left and maybe maybe her answer to that question might be different at the end of the series when everybody knows the full picture of everything you know yeah i mean it could be about trauma and creating a world for yourself <laughs> you know i don't know there might be something there that she can't get into i don't mm-hmm. know i'm not saying i i don't know anything about her uh, about her <laughs> but, um okay uh some other things a friend of mine pointed out that monica rambau uh asked hayward about the astronaut training program in the last episode or was it the last episode i think it was the yeah. last episode yeah and he says that it's going abysmal and they wondered, could this be a Fantastic Four reference? Maybe. Um, <laughs> you don't seem to like that that theory. No, 
I don't mind the theory. It's just, uh, it's like, not. What enough. exactly is the theory that the Richards family has already like launched and they've been yeah. caught in the, like everything's gone wrong. And they're like in the middle of, we're in the middle of a fantastic four story as Monica is asking that question. I don't really understand the, the implication there. I think. Yeah. yeah. that Maybe something went wrong on their last mission. I think is like the theory. I like, feel like we have enough of an origin story already kind of going on with Monica Rambo and now yeah. other things going on in this to incorporate FF into this as well right now is a lot. Uh, so, um, hey, it's, hey it's, Sean, it's, if you told me that they were going to incorporate all that they're incorporating into this, fair. I wouldn't have believed totally, you. Anyways. Totally fair. And look, it could be, I would say it's the sort of thread that if they want to tie that to Fantastic Four later, they can. And if they don't want to, they won't. Okay. Uh, on Twitter, we got a tweet from Brian who wanted to point out that Westview and one division have the same initials. Is this a coincidence? I mean, they established, I maybe, but I mean, Westview is established as an actual place. I know, I don't think it's actually a real city in New Jersey, but it's an actual place in the MCU's version of New Jersey. So, um, I mean, I, I guess it does make sense with those initials. Maybe that's why they chose the name, but I don't know if it's really going to mean that much. Okay. Some people seem to be confused with the whole Westview thing. So, John writes in. He says, I believe that in the world of the show, Eastview, New Jersey, is a real town that existed prior to Wanda's arrival in Westview. Not a merely hallucination or false memory taking up the mind space once occupied by Westview. A few factors indicate this. One, the cops' patches say Eastview, so the place must exist in the real world. Two, I think WandaVision is being subtly satirical about New Jersey township system. Here's where I think it's reaching too far. Uh, New Jersey has 565 municipalities, uh, many of which have basically the same name. So, so for example, there are a bunch of different oranges in New Jersey. There's orange, there's south orange, there's west orange, there's east orange. And this guy's wife is from New Jersey, lives near there, and she cannot keep straight which orange is which. So he seems to think that there were an east view and a west view and that like it's it's a joke about new jersey no i don't think so i'm sorry but no <laughs> uh i don't know i i do wonder if like east view really existed and west view is do we know that west view actually exists i mean there's already a sign i don't know i mean i guess you could say wanda put up the road sign um yeah, the uh, road sign's outside of the, the hex. It yeah, it's outside of the perimeter. So um, unless Wanda was like, I, I need to have this real sign for the fake town I'm about to build. I don't know. That scene, that's a lot of thought to go into it. <laughs> okay, I think we're probably going deeper into things that don't matter than we should. But but wait, how did she change like the, the officer's like their patches and stuff like that like they're outside of the hex so they're not in the magical spell that is westview i mean but we saw can, in this episode right yeah. like that yeah. that there is matter that can be transformed and then moved outside of the hex and still retain its shape or whatever so i feel right. like it's it's possible that she either brought those uh either those those officers originated in westview and she allowed them to leave the hex or she was able to sort of apply that same you know uh magic spell or whatever to their clothing because they're sort of representative of these people who are right there on the the edge of the bubble, you know? Yeah. Okay. Rob from Maryland writes in uh, about our discussion about the MCU and the connections to agents of shield. 
Uh, he said there's plenty of references to the events of the in the MCU on Agents of Shield, but there there is another reference in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and he brings up in Avengers Two: Age of Ultron. Um, there is a moment near the end of the film where Nick Fury arrives at Sokovia aboard a helicarrier to evacuate the citizens. Fury says, "Quote: I pulled it out of the mothballs mm-hmm. with a couple of old friends." And he claims this is a reference to the Agents of Shields episode "Scars," in which Agent Coulson has refurbished the helicopter and gives it to Fury. What, what do you That's, have to say about that, Sean? It's correct, but it's still the same thing. Of Agents of Shield is just giving supplemental things. Like another thing is. It was Coulson and company who discovered the location of Loki's scepter, which the Avengers go retrieve in Avengers Age of Ultron. So but so it's still that thing of the of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. finding ways to connect itself. But if that episode does not happen and we never see that helicarrier in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., Nick Fury's line makes just as much sense. And you know how I know that the vast majority of the people who saw Age of Ultron have no idea that episode of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. exists and they have no issue with the line. So th- that's kind of the pattern that you had with Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., where it could be a, a piece of supplemental trivia for how they found out about something, yeah. but it wasn't really pushing anything forward and making a real impact on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Okay, so Tim C. from Illinois writes in, and this is actually, I think, the most interesting email of the week. He says, whatever is left of Vision was needed to be or needed to be reincarnated to make Westview a thing. The mysterious like calculations vision is doing at his job, quote unquote, is actually him powering some sort of cosmic device that is helping to create the world. This is also why the world is getting more and more sophisticated as in how it is becoming more and more modern. His work will eventually get Westview to the point of being quote unquote real and there is no barrier between Westview and the rest of the world. This will allow whatever evil entity want to made a deal with to roam free. Maybe Agnes pitched the idea to Wanda so that she could summon Mephisto from his dimension into ours. Or maybe Agnes or Agatha has been drawing powers from Mephisto in his dimension. I don't want to get into that part of it, but like, what do you think? Like, I, I'm not sure I had heard the theory that the, that the, all the stuff, all the work that Vision's doing at his job, like all the computations and stuff like that could be, because it's even said in this episode that Wanda like has never shown the power to be able to create this entire world. I mean, she even says later in the episode that like, you think I could be controlling all these people all at the same time? I, yeah. I kind of feel like that moment of her saying that is is like uh, is not a genuine uh, expression from her. Like I think it's clear that she is doing all of this at the same time, and she's just sort of it's like a last ditch effort to try to convince Vision that this reality is that there's nothing wrong with the reality that he's currently in. What did you make of that, Sean? I thought of it as like she she's not. I think it's in some ways partially true in that she's not literally puppeteering everybody's every movement all the time because that would occupy a lot of energy even for Wanda so i don't i think there is some truth in that but she's the one who seems to have put them on some sort of autopilot where they're just 
doing the stuff that they're supposed to do in this sitcom mode. I don't think that she is piloting them to build some computer thing or input something into a computer thing because it just doesn't really seem to make that much. I don't see the necessity of it. If she's well, already done all of this without vision, then why would she need him to build some sort of device to merge these realities? And there's also the bit that Monica talks about later where uh, the idea that Wanda has created this barrier not to not just to keep some people out, but to also maybe keep a potential threat in like she's quarantining herself yeah. in Westview. So I don't really think there's a big machine being built here. Well, ignore the whole merging worlds thing. I'm, I just think it's fascinating. The idea that this job that even vision has questioned, like, what is the stuff that we're computing? Like, what are we even doing here? Like, what are we, what are these numbers and what are we adding up? Like, what does this go to? Which I think was played for a joke in episode one. Mm -hmm. Maybe there's something there. Maybe Wanda is using, using her husband to help facilitate this, this hex in some way. And unbeknownst to him, you, you, you don't like that theory at all. I mean, it's possible, but like, they're not. When we see I them mean, this has, week, she, she has oh, a super this computer week, there. Why does, not use it? Like, when we see them this week, they're not working. They're screwing around with email. Like they're not, you know, they're not really getting anything done. They're no longer uh, inputting information and outputting computational forms. Like a lot of that stuff isn't really happening anymore. Like I didn't see actual work happening. But we're only seeing one of the 24 episodes, Sean. There is that, sure. If we want to introduce theories based on a bunch of episodes we're not seeing, then anything is possible, Peter. But based on the information we're getting, I have doubts in the supercomputer theory. Yeah, me too. Uh, I like the supercomputer theory. Okay, uh, Jesse from Massachusetts wrote in that in episode four recap, we mentioned the parallels between WandaVision and the whole... Um, it's a good life episode of twilight zone. And uh, Jesse just wanted to point out or add that while it's not important to the plots that the twilight zone episode, Disney pulled Rod Stewart's scenes from to develop tower of terror, the pre-ride show uh, was that episode. So, so mm. there's some Disney history with that episode pre-existing. And I appreciate that because I'm a theme park fan. So anyways, um, uh, Rob Cannon writes in and he he has a question. Did the blip ever feature into a comic story or is this something that's only in the MCU? So I'm going to throw that to Sean. Well, there's a version of it in Infinity Gauntlet, like half of all life in the universe disappeared and then they came back, but no one remembered it. That was part of the deal with Infinity Gauntlet is so people didn't know that they were gone. It's not... It, it was like a snapback to reality of like, oh, this whole thing never happened, which is not the MCU where there's real trauma stemming from the blip. Yeah. OK, one last email. This one's a long one. Peter writes in. He agrees with you, Sean, that the mention of the CMBR, the cosmic background radiation, is not just a throwaway line. It is. Also, you know, tying in the connection to the larger Infinity Stones. Now we know that the Infinity Stones were not destroyed in the common sense of the word. They were they've been dusted, but their energy is still around. Otherwise, the timeline would fall apart as the ancient one described it to Bruce Banner. So I think the 
relation between CMBR and the stones is that somehow the radiation carries or indicates the magical energy of the stones. If there's a higher amount of CMBR in Westview, it means that the stones are involved somehow, perhaps indirectly, through Wanda's powers. Here's what I'm thinking. The mutants in Marvel have historically been connected to nuclear radiation. In first class, Xavier specifically mentions that the Cold War is responsible for the increased amount of mutant mutant, um, appearances. I've been thinking about how the MCU would explain the sudden appearance of mutants if they were introduced the X-Men into the 21st century when the nuclear radiation is old news. CMBR research is such a recent topic. There's news coming out about background radiation on a yearly basis. CMBR is truly the modern day substitute for nuclear radiation. So, uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think? I, I guess, Sean, you, you basically proposed this last week with the Kamala Khan thing, right? Right. Yeah. So do you think that's where we're actually headed? Like that CMBR is going to be responsible for mutants? I mean, this episode certainly calls that theory into question as to whether or not that's even necessary. The multiverse is a potential solution for a sudden onset of mutants in the MCU, for sure. Um, I was thinking a little more localized. I was like, hey, Kamala Khan's already in New Jersey where this is happening. If this radiation expands even just a bit. Um, I certainly think that this radiation has the ability to give people abilities. Definitely. I don't know though. I mean, I still look at this as being localized to the mind stone. I'm not really thinking about all the other infinity stones because the mind stone, whether it was regardless of the phrasing gone, reduced to atoms, however you want to look at it. Wanda has powers that are derivative of the Mind Stone or were at the very least unlocked or enhanced by the Mind Stone. And I think that's kind of enough to be explained. The science, the Marvel science explanation of exactly how this TV reality and broadcast is occurring in this space. And because it has the ability to unlock powers, yes, we could see that happening with other characters. Is that going to be responsible for mutants all over Earth? No, not necessarily. And there are all other sorts of avenues that Marvel can take if they want to have mutants be introduced because mutants in the comic books, it was retconned to have them be connected all the way to the Eternals because in the same way that the Celestials created regular humans and Eternals and Deviants, they gave humans the the DNA ability to eventually upgrade themselves, which was in Marvel Comics ultimately explained as the mutant gene. So there's plenty of things already kind of just hovering around the near MCU future. That it just, it doesn't have to be this. Could it be? Sure. Anything could be anything. Um, But I'm not really looking at this as, uh, I think if this show is going to be responsible for bringing mutants into the MCU in a big way, it's more likely to be what the very end of this episode suggests. Okay, we'll get to that a bit later. Let's start with our brief thoughts. Let's start with Ben. What were your brief thoughts on this episode? Uh, very brief thoughts. I was not a huge fan of it. And I have many reasons for that that we'll get into when we go through the, the beat by beat breakdown. But just generally, I was kind of, uh, I, I was I was a little let down by this episode, but uh, we'll get into that later. Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to agree with you in, in one respect, Ben. I, I was really looking forward to the 80s episode. I'm a big fan of 80s sitcoms. And I I really feel like they they got the other eras in sitcom history like they really nailed it 
And I know there was some good inspiration in this episode, but I feel like it didn't feel it didn't have the feeling of like a full house or I don't know. It, it just so that aspect of the episode, like the comedy, I don't think was on par uh, with the previous episodes. That said, the MCU stuff, the greater like the the outside, the heck stuff, I was was really compelling to me. And also how this episode ends. Um, yeah. WTF, what's going on here? Yeah. Uh, Sean, what are your brief thoughts? I think the outside of Westview stuff was all really, really great. Inside of Westview, it wasn't as much fun being in the sitcom space as it has been because we just we weren't laughing as much. Like the the we got the situation, not so much the comedy in this episode, but the title of the episode reflects that. This is on a very special episode, which means this is the sincere one in the season, which a lot of sitcoms started to do in the 80s. There's the drugs and alcohol episode. There's the, you know, death and grieving episode. There might be the parents splitting up episode. Mom and dad are fighting. And we covered some of those things. So I think that's how they're exp they're explaining why uh, we don't get to be as happy and have as much fun in this episode as we've had in previous sitcom episodes. Uh, it wasn't designed to be that way. It's true to form, but it also it doesn't really get around the point that, yeah, we, we didn't get to have as much fun in an 80s sitcom as we would have liked. Yeah. Okay. Let's go into the breakdown. Uh, we were wrong in our previous episode title prediction. It ended up being on a very special episode, dot, dot, dot. We predicted uh, back to the regular, regular, regularly scheduled programming or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, the, this episode starts with the Marvel intro and now we're into 1980s. It looks very early 80s to me because it seems like there's a lot of like 70s accents and stuff like that. Uh, feels kind of like family ties meets mm -hmm. growing pains rather than like a full house or like late 80s show. Um, also worth noting, I'm not sure if you guys noticed this, but I was I was a big fan of growing pains growing up in, in their in their living room. They they had a or they had a couch that had one blue pillow it was like one odd blue pillow on their couch and it was like a thing in that show and in one division in this episode that the, they had one blue pillow on the couch so i'm sure the one division production designers were you know that's a nod to yeah growing well, wasn't, didn't matt shackman the director appear on growing pains when he was a child actor oh yeah, yeah i think you're right so yeah <laughs> so there you go uh i noticed the curtains on the windows kind of form a hexagonal shape because mm -hmm. they have like, you know, they get uh, tied in, if that makes sense. Um, and also worth noting that this episode is the first one in the sitcom era that is um, presented in 16 by 9 aspect ratio rather than. I think the previous one, the 70s one, was like still four by three. Am mm -hmm. I correct there? Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. I'm kind of wondering why they chose to go 16 by nine so early because I feel like 16 by nine in terms of television standards didn't really happen until the 2000s, maybe? Yeah. Yeah. It's probably just to make the back and forth between the outside the hex stuff a little bit less jarring and keep people from thinking about that and just try to suck people into the narrative. Fair enough. Um, okay. 
And the stuff uh, in the real MCU is presented in widescreen, as we've said before. You know, people can tell the difference, but maybe it's less jarring. Uh, Wanda and Vision are having a handful with their new twin tw- twin boys. Uh, the Vision... Uh, yeah, getting tie- uh, tongue-tied here. Vision mentions that he's tried reading Charles Darwin's The Descent of Man to Billy, but it had made him cry even harder. Uh, this book is about the evolution of man from apes. Is there something here maybe about the evolution into mutants? What do you guys think? Like, or why the mention of this book? Um, I was wondering if it was a reference to uh, Master and Commander, which Paul Bettany was also in. And he plays like a oh. scientist guy who uh, I think is studying Darwin in that movie. But I, I have no, that has no bearing at all in the MCU. So I don't know if that's <laughs> right. just like a fun nod that the writers uh, wanted to throw in there or if there's something, yeah, like a, a deeper MCU connection that you guys might have noticed. Yeah, I mean, it I could, it could just be for the joke of him being like a super nerd trying to. Yeah, I, I just felt like yeah. it was an obvious, overly academic choice to read to a baby, yeah. um, which and I know that, yes, evolution of man, mutants and all that. I, I, I'm I get it, uh, but I'm also like, eh, it could just be nothing. It's like, what's the fanciest, stuffiest sounding book we could say vision read to his baby? Charles Darwin sounds right. Yeah. Hey, so, some of the stuff we're always reaching. I will say though oh, yeah. that book is referenced a lot in the X-Men like history, right? So like, that's not something that hasn't been referenced in the comics before. That's fair. Um, Wanda tried to use her magic to make the babies go to sleep, but it doesn't work. What do we think happened here? And I loved her question. Why won't you do what I want? Uh, I thought that was Mm -hmm. the the best part of it is it's showing the limits of her control, I think is, and which, I mean, we know there are, plenty of different limits to her control within Westview. Um, But it seems like these children have a lot of control over their own fate um, because even Agnes seems to struggle with them a bit. But yeah, Wanda wanting to take these shortcuts, but it also even shows it's kind of a symbol of what she's doing here is it's not like Westview exists to uh, as a way for her to eliminate every trauma and inconvenience outside in her outside of Westview life, even within it, she's trying to now she's abusing that power to try and take little shortcuts to just make sure everything is happy and easy all the time. Do you think the reason why she can't control them is because they're a real actual people like, you know, the people in Westview are all playing roles, you know, they're being like hypnotized into being these characters, except for vision, I think, right. Who it doesn't seem like she can control him. She can control time and rewind and, do things in a different way, but it doesn't seem like she can like, you know, that he, she's able to control him because he's an actual, he's a, he's him. So do we think, Ben, do you think that that's why she can't control the children? Um, I kind of was thinking that. And then they grew before their very eyes. Like instead of, you know, I think the, the jump from them being infants to them being toddlers uh, sort of happens off screen. So I feel like you can kind of explain that away a little bit, but the meta, the metamorphosis that's like, that literally takes place when they jump from whatever it is, five-year-olds to 10-year-olds or something in the kitchen Mm -hmm. um, makes it seem a little bit less believable that they're actually like real beings. Although the, the mentality that you just laid out about how, if they are, you know, real sentient beings with agency, they are definitely not, um, you know, 
they don't have a representative that is or, or a uh, an equivalent that is pre-existing within Westview. I think that makes sense to me, but I just don't know. I don't. I can't get. I can't quite get a read on them yet. Yeah. Uh, let's rewind a second. Wanda wonders out loud if maybe they need some help, and just mm-hmm. then, uh, at the doors, Agnes shows up. She's you know. Was she coming from her jazzercising uh, class or she was going to? She was summoned by Wanda, which is yeah. why Wanda later has to make the distinction that the doorbell ringing was not her at the end yeah. of the episode, because this one totally was. She summoned help. 100%. And Agnes, when she shows up, she also has like that that thing in like 80 shows, like when someone come in the door, they have like a little theme song that goes mm-hmm. off. Yeah, which I like. I like that touch. Uh, Vision tells Agatha not, or sorry, <laughs> Vision tells Agnes not to right. hold the babies, and this results in Agnes breaking the scene and asking Wanda if she should take that again, take it from mm-hmm. the top, almost like an actor trying to redo a scene. And uh, Wanda here tries to laugh this moment off, but Vision suspects something's up. I think the interesting thing for me here is that Agnes doesn't seem to have the fear of Wanda, like when things go wrong. Like it seems like, the, you know, these moments have happened in past episodes and it seems like people are afraid of Wanda in that situation. She seems there's a different thing at play there. What, what, <laughs> ben, what is your reading of what's going on here? Um, It's almost like. I kind of felt like Agnes was um, was like subtly influencing what was going on here. I, I feel like we've seen that in the show already, like the idea of her um, sort of like incepting this notion of uh, Wanda and Vision needing to have kids and stuff like that. I've seen, I feel like we've seen that sort of play out. Um, maybe a few other instances that I can't think of off the top of my head where Agnes has been around and sort of like, yeah, like dropped a sly little hint at, at something that has ended up becoming you know, true within this, this hex. Um, and this instance there's, she, you know, she, like you said, pauses the scene and then, uh, says, you know, do you want to take this from the top or whatever? And Wanda seems genuinely confused by it. It's not like, I I don't think this is part of Wanda's plan. Right. And then, and, and Agnes, she says to her, you want me to hold the babies. And it's almost like, it's almost like a command or a spell or something that, that, Mm -hmm. uh, that that's kind of how I read it is like, it's not just, um, she is a uh, a passive player in Wanda's game. It seemed like she had a little bit more control over the situation than anybody else. Um, and and maybe I, I don't know if this ties this could tie into the Agnes of it all. But in that moment that we were just talking about, Peter, where like her magic doesn't work on the kids, I think the only other time so far in the series that we have seen Wanda's magic not work before was on that stork which had that sort of, oh, yeah. uh, you know, like red material around it. And I guess that was maybe just a representation of her trying to, you know, use her Wanda Maximoff powers on the thing. But the idea that these kids are seemingly immune to her magic and that stork, whatever that thing was or may represent, uh, I feel like there's a, a possibility that Agnes is involved with that as well. Okay. Uh, it's kind of weird, but... Because it's almost it almost insinuates that there is a script like going on here, like that Wanda is creating for the Westview residents. But it, like you said, Wanda seems confused about this moment. So I, I I'm gonna I'm gonna side with your reasoning that like 
uh, Agnes is kind of like being like, I should hold the child. Like she's going off script, I think. <laughs> uh, Vision confronts Wanda about Agnes's weird behavior and Wanda just excuses it away. Uh, okay, here's here's one of my logic questions. I might be asking too much for a Marvel show, but why at this point? We already know Wanda can rewind time mm-hmm. and you know experience the moment again. Why doesn't she just do this and control what Vision experienced so that it doesn't lead to what it's leading to here? Okay, we know that she has the power to do that, so why why not do that? I think we see her in general being less cautious about everything. And I think there's part of it because every time she does that, presumably it takes effort. And now she's admittedly fatigued because she can't deal with these babies. And I I think, you know, she doesn't want to, she summons Agnes so that Agnes can come walking right through the door and vision has to hide behind a pillow to change his face and she doesn't conceal her powers later on in an interaction with the dog collar with Agnes. And so yeah. Vision is calling this out. This is the thing where Wanda is not, she's not trying to preserve the idea that they are, as badly as she wanted to fit in in episode two, clearly that's taking too much effort and she's not really going to care about all that stuff right now. And plus, I think she's also got other reasons to let her guard down around Agnes, but yeah. she's not putting in the same amount of effort in everything anymore. And so I, I just take her difference in interaction with Vision as the same as that. Like I, I can't keep, I can't keep resetting you all the time because clearly it doesn't stop you from asking questions. You always come back with questions. So at some point, I just have to bring this to a head where you, I let you ask the questions you have to ask, and I ultimately tell you that it's not going to change anything. Okay, uh, Agnes is then spraying the babies with the lavender to calm them down. This played as a, a comedic moment, but I wonder like if Agnes is actually. Agatha Harkness and she's some kind of witch then maybe she's spraying them and there's some kind of spell going on here or something is, I mean, is that it's the very it's it's the circular motion of how she's spraying it uh for them as well and then, although and then she goes looking for dark liquor which she said wasn't for her but then we see her drinking it but I don't know if this was her I mean it seems like it could have been but she also says kids you can't control them no matter how hard you try and we see the kids decide to age themselves up later, although I just have a harder time, and I don't know why, because this is an anything-goes sitcom reality in Westview. I'm like, are babies capable of making a conscious choice to age themselves up to toddlers? <laughs> like, uh, I, I don't know. So maybe that was Agnes uh, helping out a bit in that one, but it still feels like the kids are uh, making some of their own decisions. Yeah. Peter, I think I've cracked this whole lavender thing wide open. I googled lavender and Marvel, and there was a female thief named Lavender in the Marvel comics <laughs> who was active during the, during the 1940s, and she clashed with Captain America at one point. So we can all obviously, go home. yes. <laughs> wow. You know, in all my my searching for this episode, Ben, no one brought up that connection. So <laughs> that's why you pay me the work. big bucks, Peter. Yeah. Uh, but Ben, you were right. They are five years old. Uh, it says so in the credits. I looked um, a lot of the times in the movies and TV twins are played by actual acting twins. I know they're not identical twins uh, here, mm-hmm. um, but uh, Agnes jokes. Kids can't control them even as much as you try. Yeah. Uh, the opening title sequence is a mix of 
I want to say it's a mix of family ties, family matter, and full house. Like there's the painting of the family portrait, yeah, which is from Family Ties. It's there's not the... as up. It's the song is not as upbeat as Family Matters or Full House, but the visuals, like the picnic in the park at the very end, is totally Full House. Um, yeah, yeah. Theme song, yeah, was it felt softer like Family Ties. That whole uh, opening credit sequence was just way too long. That's one of the reasons that I wasn't crazy about this episode uh, you know uh, going along with what you're talking about too peter like the you know not quite nailing that uh that tone uh of of those 80s episodes and not being just as funny overall i think that they just made a mistake by making that it just dragged the episode out a little bit longer than i thought it needed to be oh i liked it i liked it with the cast members seeing like them grow up like actually using real photos of elizabeth olsen as a child and like the best part for me was uh, oh. baby vision yes <laughs> um and yeah also the full house sequences of like the family having a fun picnic in the park mm-hmm. but it's almost like sad because they're like in this like like that that small like what do you call that that it's like a park in the middle of a small town with the gazebo mm-hmm. and there's nobody else like having fun like i don't know it just it doesn't seem as fun as it did in full house when they're in um Oh my god, what is that? San Francisco. But yeah. yeah, I can't I don't in front of the painted the ladies and yeah. Um okay, so Ben, you didn't like that opening. You thought it was too long. Uh oh, and I also like the joke of seeing like the kids grow up. Mm-hmm. The, the one, two, three, four, five on the birthday cake. Yes. Uh okay. Um what did you guys think of the song? Because Sean, you were saying the song is not as upbeat. No, it's it's sad. I mean, they're yeah. talking about, you know, you wander the world with a vision of what life could be, but then years come and teach you to just wait and see. And it's referring to forces trying to pull them apart. Um, they're crossing their fingers, singing a song, making it up as they go along, which is what's happening in this reality. Um, so it's it's downbeat. It's very sad. Um, you know, there's a melancholy tone to it and i think that's because that's what this episode is that's why on a very special episode that's the promo that you get in commercials hyping up those types of episodes of the sitcom on a very special episode and then that's the episode where things go wrong for the family uh, which is usually not the thing that happens in sitcoms which is why they would call that out in older sitcoms like this is the serious one everybody um and i think the 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 theme song doesn't necessarily fit if we imagine if we're talking about imaginary upbeat 80s episodes but for the real one that we got it totally fits i say real like that's but like for the one we actually see in this episode the song fits see sean you're good at this like i want to compare you again to uh brian who we have on for the star wars episodes um but he he's always a uh so brilliant of turning my criticisms of the episode into like no no that 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 that's why it's great and i feel like you are also very good at doing that with marvel you're able to to counter the criticisms in in a very intelligent way um okay uh so then we wake up uh we are in that uh medical tent Monica wakes up in the medical scent mm-hmm. and uh, she admits she felt grief when she was inside uh, inside the hex. We'll call it the hex for now because I like that. Uh, Darcy is a big fan of her. The lab technician says that the x-rays are blank and needs uh, to take another blood draw. But Monica refuses. Right now, I, we, we theorized last week that her getting thrown out of this energy field 
maybe gave her powers like you know that character in the comic becomes a superhero and maybe this is her origin story uh but this moment here that monica like when she's told this like refuses makes me wonder like maybe she had powers before this because why wouldn't wouldn't she be concerned that there's something wrong with her it's a good question it's but i could also see it being the thing of like it's the impatient cop or the impatient military person, secret agent, whatever. Like, I just want to get back to work and I just want to yeah. get back to working on the case. I, I don't want to waste any more time. Like, where's my stuff? I don't want to waste any more time here with these scans. You don't see anything. I feel fine. I don't care. Um, yeah, I think so, the Jimmy yeah. joke where he's like, she does that is sort of yeah. supports that read of it. And then also, <laughs> Peter, like if she had powers beforehand, uh, I think the the technician says, like, I need to get another blood sample. And I feel like Monica wouldn't have allowed a first blood sample to be taken right. if she was trying to protect, you know, some sort of secret that she was holding. That's true. 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 OK. In an oversimplified briefing, giving sword the backstory on Wanda, uh, the dr- acting director Hayward asks if Wanda has an alias. No funny nickname, he asks. This this seems Not like a yet. weird question to have. Like, is this it's like a set up? What? It's a super weird question. Yep. It's it's. Pre- I I don't know. I mean, I understand why it's in there. They want to, for some reason, internally in the show, they want you to realize like it's a big deal when they finally call her Scarlet Witch, even though that's what they said when they officially announced the series at Comic Con in 2019. Kevin Feige has subsequently said that in interviews that they'll finally call her the Scarlet Witch in the show because they never have in the MCU. But yeah, Hayward's logic here doesn't really track. It's like, oh, she can't really be a superhero because she doesn't have a, a funny nickname. I'm like, well, <laughs> villains have funny nicknames too. Like that's not, those aren't the rules of who's a good guy and who's a bad guy. Um, but also you could say Hayward's reaching for anything to paint Wanda as a terrorist. And I think the this episode gives you a very obvious reason for that. Yeah, it's very clear. And he also mentions Lagos in Germany Mm-hmm. And Sean, as the Marvel expert here, can can you explain what happened in those places? Yeah, so Lagos is a reference to what happened in the opening of Captain America Civil War in Nigeria when Rumlow or Crossbones was trying to steal that biological weapon, and then he was going to blow himself up and take Steve Rogers with him and everybody else in that marketplace. And Wanda, of course, contained the explosion, shot him up into the sky, but didn't contain it for long enough. He exploded next to a building and killed many people, including several Wakandans. Uh, so that's what happened in Lagos. Uh, she made a mess and didn't mean to, as we get back in into uh, the ads this week. Uh, yeah. And then Germany is a reference to her violating the Sokovia Accords by ultimately siding with Team Cap. Correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know we are far ahead of this than like the general public watching the show mm-hmm. that haven't read the comics. But I, I do feel like this scene is the moment when more laid back viewers might be like starting to connect the dots of like, Oh, Hydra that was in the previous commercial. And they gave her like, do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's like, this isn't just there for to paint her as a terrorist, but also kind of laying it out for general audiences. This is the terrible, this is the terrible trauma tour of Wanda Maximoff. That's what we're getting. And, and that's why, and these ads are actually going in order. Although, you could say that they skipped the death of Pietro, but you don't need to do that in the ads because they've covered that ground elsewhere. So uh, yeah. the next thing after the death, after talking about the Stark missile and 
Strucker and then in a broader sense, Hydra, and then addressing the death of Pietro elsewhere, the next traumatic event was Lagos for Wanda. So that's why we got it this week. Okay, so Jimmy and Darcy both do not like Hayward. Hayward is trying to paint Wanda as a terrorist. Uh, Is she a terrorist? No, because Monica actually correctly defines it. She didn't have a political agenda. Yeah. Uh, And Monica says, you know, doesn't believe Wanda has any inclination toward destruction. And when Hayward points out what what Wanda did to Monica, it was very violent. But the reason Monica did not die from that violent ejection through like two walls and a fence and then a barrier uh, is because Wanda chose to protect her. Um, So. Uh, but we see this different. We see these differing viewpoints b- between these two. But Hayward also has his own agenda, you know, pointing out Wanda's holding thousands of people hostage. But Monica is viewing that as a quarantine. That Monica is limiting the impact of this to the three thousand some odd people in Westview, as opposed to you know what could be a much bigger event. She actually believes Wanda is containing this, uh, as opposed to expanding it. By the way, that was a lot more people in Westview than I was expecting. I thought it was yeah, like a couple too. hundred. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, if this is a quarantine, is it possible that she isn't the bad guy here and they're she's just trying to defuse her own bomb? Well, I guess I'm getting ahead of ourselves. So we'll get to that in the next uh, bit here because Hayward shows security footage. Oh, of- oh, Peter, real quick, before you get to the security footage, um, I feel like Hayward is, and you guys talked about this, I think, in last week's episode. There's something going on with that guy. Um, he does not seem completely above board. And I feel like the, the sort of back and forth between him and Jimmy as they're doing this like debriefing uh-huh. to this room, there's this one shot where he his it, the camera sort of lingers on him as he like gives Jimmy this look. And then uh-huh. that moment where um, after the, the debriefing is done, Jimmy steps aside and talks to Darcy for a second. And he says yep. something like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to speak ill of anybody. And then Darcy steps in and she was going to say like Hayward's a dick. And, you know, middle in the middle of that word, it cuts physically, like it, it specifically cuts to him saying the word terrorist at that mm-hmm. point. So to finish that sentence is Hayward is a terrorist. And <laughs> um, I wonder if that's like a nod to what is actually going on here. If he's some sort of like, whatever, secret, uh, you know, undercover uh, terrorist very, agent or whatever. The very well, next moment gives it all away for Hayward. Yeah, I, I agree here. I'm not sure if it sounds like Ben did not completely pick this up. Uh, but Hayward shows a security footage of Wanda breaking into S.W.O.R.D. headquarters and stealing the dead body of Vision. Um, first of all, it's worth noting that Paul Bettany uh, said in an interview recently that originally there was an end scene from Endgame, a credit scene that was cut that they had planned. I don't think they shot it. Is that correct, Sean? As far as I know, yeah, nothing that was shot. Yeah, that where Wanda goes into a facility, a government facility, and opens a drawer holding Vision's dead body. Um, so, um, the thing about the scene to me is it looks like Sword. It doesn't look like Vision's in this room being like his body's like in a containment cell, like being kept for storage it looks like they're experimenting mm-hmm. on vision's body and if they're experimenting on vision's body and sword is a company that's about like weapons and stuff like that then they're probably trying to reverse engineer some stuff or steal some technology there and maybe wanda breaking in to steal him is not 
as malicious, but maybe to save him. That is exactly what happened. Hmm. There is no doubt. Okay, let's go. Let's go through this. Uh, I'll, yeah. I will prosecute acting director Tyler Hayward. He <laughs> says that this morning he received authorization to show security footage from the headquarters of the organization of which he is the acting director. Why? Whose authorization <laughs> does he need to show footage from his own facility? Now you could say, well, that's like World Security Council having authority over Shield back in the Infinity Saga, and I would sort of buy that and say, okay. He couldn't show the tape, even though he's the leader of this organization. But when he initially sees Wanda and Vision in sitcom land in last week's episode, he has to know what that is. And he has to know that Wanda can't just be uh, some victim in this, that she has to be part of how all of this is happening. And even if he can't show the footage, he should at least allude to that and make sure this agency he's running, that they're on the right track of trying to discover what's actually happening here. And why is he trying so hard to paint Wanda as a terrorist, ignoring all the superhero stuff she's done, only focusing on the villain turn, uh, and then also trying to kill her and effectively silence her later on in this episode is that this is all a cover-up. And when he says that Wanda, out of her grief, went in and took Vision and and resurrected him, disregarding his wishes, Jimmy Woo points out that Vision's wishes was to not become someone's living weapon. Well, what is a living weapon? A sentient weapon. And this is the sentient weapon observation response division. <laughs> so when you say you change the name for a larger story reason, here is your larger story reason. Vision was the sentient weapon that Hayward and Sword were trying to create. Wanda busted them, took Vision to, pro- to actually protect him and his wishes of not becoming a living weapon. And now Sword and Hayward are tracking her down. That doesn't explain everything else as far as Hmm. what this reality is and is anybody else in play like Agnes or whatever. It doesn't shut those things down. But I think Hayward and Sword's, uh, by extension, you know, Sword and at least people in a leadership position, like their motives are clearly established here. Yeah, I, I, I think there's more to this. Like She's not the complete villain as the show is leading us to believe. So then that's just that's two major spy organizations within the MCU that have been like, you know, that are now on the dark side. Is that I mean, what's your general impression of spy organizations, though? I mean, <laughs> generally speaking, like, it's well, in heroic <laughs> stories, you know, like MI6 is pretty good in the Bond movies, you know. Um, uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. I, that's a little disappointing to me. I mean, everything you say makes sense. Um, it just with the whole like. uh with how well it was pulled off the first time in in Captain America Winter, Winter Soldier right. and, and that whole storyline, it just feels a little like the air is being let out of the balloon that that's actually what's going on here. Yeah. But I mean, as long as they don't treat this as an organization wide thing, I think that's the key. What would be a distinction here between just saying this is Hydra infiltrating shield all over again. If you say, if you tell me half of sword is bad, then yeah, I, I think you have to call that out as you're just doing the same thing over again. But if you want to say that this one guy and, you know, some people working for him overstepped and started doing something unethical, that's always bound to happen at, at various places. And yeah, in places, in positions of authority and positions of power, it's going to happen quite a bit. So I'm okay with it as long as they don't try to do the whole thing. Like, if Sword has to completely be dissolved at the end of this series, like <laughs> Shield was a Winter Soldier, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll cry foul on that. But I don't think that's going to happen. I, I think you've got other people who are very, who are 
making their case as qualified candidates to replace Tyler Hayward, whether yeah. that's Jimmy Wu, Darcy Lewis, or Monica Rambo. Yeah, no, I can see that. Um, and it's also established here that it's been nine days since mm-hmm. this happened. So that's interesting to know. And um takes a long time to get authorization to show footage you own. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even think about that. That's so funny, John. <laughs> okay, uh, so are Sword the bad guys? I guess Hayward's the bad guy. We don't yes. know if Sword's the bad guys. Right. Uh, is maybe Wanda saving her dead husband? It Was that right last week? Last week I theorized that that Wanda basically kidnapped her, the corpse of her dead lover, and was basically making that corpse live out a life with her in this fake reality. Is that is that what's going on? I mean, this puts a different spin on it, though. Like, it's not like she just took Vision for nothing because she just missed him oh so badly. This shows that something actively bad was happening to Vision, and she went in and she stopped that. And then what happens after that? After she gets Vision out of S.W.O.R.D. headquarters, why does she then turn to... Does she feel like this is my only means of protecting him, is to create this reality and this bubble and that's it? Or did she feel like she had to make a deal with someone or whatever? Was it just that idea of, in order to protect him, I have to do this? And if you change, that certainly puts her motivation, her intent in a somewhat more, uh, painted in a somewhat more positive light than just, I missed you really bad and that's why you're back as opposed to, yeah. I'm trying to save you. And I and I had a reason to feel like I needed to save you. Yeah, and in terms of like the liter- literalism of what might be going on here, I think when she pulls Vision off that table in that security footage, it's not like his full corpse. It looked like just his torso. I could be wrong about that. I I didn't go back and like look super closely. So I don't think she's like weakened at Bernie'sing, you know, this, this corpse around who, you know, this, this gray corpse who's like dancing around, you know, as she's like a puppet master. I don't think it's quite as literal as that. Yeah. And I, I I do think it's interesting that in this moment are the two, the two people that are on screen that I think are supposed to represent the audience and the questions that they're going to ask Wu and Darcy they basically ask, how did she bring him back without the Mind Stone? Mm-hmm. So that's definitely a question we're supposed to ask at this point in the show. And uh, I don't think we completely have an answer at this point. We have some theories. Yeah. Uh, okay. So back inside the show, the kids have taken in a stray dog. Vision is dressed in disguise because he had a hunch someone was going to pop right over. And they did. Agnes shows up again. Uh, this time with a doghouse, just exactly the item that they require as Vision, like, uh, said right. aloud. So uh, Vision's catching on to this whole thing. Wanda conjures a dog collar for their new dar- dog, Sparky, uh, when Agnes wasn't looking. And Vision is kind of pissed about this because they were supposed to be undercover. Honestly, I don't see the big deal here because literally she was looking the other way. Like, she didn't see it. It's not like she did it in front of her face. I mean, what I do you it's an, an accumulation of things like Vis- vision is picking up on yeah. what might be laziness or what might be, as Sean was alluding to earlier, the sort of like strain of having to hold the pieces of this world together. And it, it really seems like Wanda is uh, has moved out uh, in, into a different mentality than she was, you know, a couple episodes ago. 
Yeah, before Wanda was hiding, now she's tired of hiding. Vision is concerned. Uh, Sparky the dog. Wasn't that a dog from the comic book? Am I correct on that, Sean? You are correct in that. And uh, then Sparky actually becomes like a synthesoid dog, which doesn't look like that's what's happening because the implication here is that uh, Vision has already buried Sparky and, and Sparky is never to be heard from again, uh, which is sad news. Um, but yeah, Sparky is uh, part of the Tom King Vision run uh, that the artwork in those covers certainly inspired a lot of the uh, visual design of this uh, of this series. Yeah. So the kids want to know if they can keep the dog and the parents don't think they can properly care for an animal until they're at least 10 years old. Mm -hmm. So the twins share a mischievous look and then grow to be 10 years old. Um, so, I, I mean, this confirms that the twins have their own power, right? Unless, unless Agnes behind them is controlling it. No, she's been I, there every time. Yeah. She she has been there, but I think this is the kids doing it. And I think this is actually Billy who's doing it for both of them because um, Billy has these powers in the comic books. He's Wiccan. He has these hex like witchy type of powers. Um, so that tracks with the source material that he would be able to do that. If they if mom says we need to age five years, then guess what? Tom, guess what we're doing, Tommy? We're going to age up five years. And Tommy has no problem with it because it means they get a dog. Yeah. And the kids, the previous kids were, I think this was their first role in anything. Uh, these kids actually have uh, a history. Billy is played by Jillian Hillard, who was in The Haunting of Hell House and The Conjuring. The Devil Made Me Do It. And Tommy is played by Jet Klein, who was in Puppet Killer and Z and uh, was The Rock's son in Skyscraper. I don't know why they chose like kids who are in horror movies, <laughs> but you know two kids from a lot of horror movies uh monica is trying to figure out a way to break back into westview uh and she has an idea she knows an aerospace engineer who would be up for this challenge and she starts like calling or texting that person it, it, are we supposed to know who she's calling or is that like just like I... a line of Thoughts. Yeah, I have no idea who that is, but there's enough emphasis on the line that makes me feel like we're going to find out who that is. We just know it's not Carol Danvers because apparently there's beef there. Um, so because the way Monica gives a, a no sell to the name of uh, Captain Marvel being mentioned earlier in the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I don't know who this aerospace engineer is going to turn out to be. Yeah, uh, Darcy doesn't know if the if the hex will mind wipe you if you go into it. Which is kind of weird because Monica's gone into it. So wouldn't she know if that's what happens? Like she's actually experienced going into the hex. Yeah. And it know. kind of does to an extent, right? Yeah. I mean, based on what we see, what we saw with Monica, what we see with Norm in this episode. Yeah. Like this stuff kind of happens. So um, yeah, there shouldn't be too much mystery there. It's like, yeah, we already know that you're going to have a hard time keeping track of uh of reality but is this a new thing they don't know about like if you go if you if you go in then you come out then you go back in are you able to retain your mm -hmm. memories or something yeah. i don't know but the general idea is yeah you are mind wiped to some extent so darcy calls this energy field this hexagonal energy field a hex mm -hmm. which is kind of fun because last week i called it a hex and i related it to a spell of sorts Maybe a spell that Agnes, Agatha that, Harkness. Yeah. 
that also is a, a common name for Wanda's powers in the comics is they are hex powers. Yeah. Uh, so I guess I might have been on the right track. I don't know. Uh, Wu is more concerned with IDing the miners playing Wanda and Vision's children. And Monica says they the kids are real. They're not mm. actually like being played by people that were in the town. Uh, Wu says that Wanda alters people's perceptions and makes them hallucinate so that maybe the other people or kids. So maybe there are other people or kids stuck in Westview. So do we think for sure that these are not kids stuck in Westview? I mean, there aren't any kids in Westview, right? Right. I, I think these are real kids. And I think what makes them real is that they are true natives of this version of Westview. They're the only people who were born in this version of Westview. And that is the distinction between them and everybody else, including Agnes, Wanda, and Vision, is maybe other people already lived there, but they were born in the real and lived there as the real world version of Westview. But this Wanda world version of Westview, um, they're the Tommy and Billy are the only people who are actually native to that reality. And I think that actually allows them to be real in and out of it. Hmm. Okay. So if all the things inside the hex are solid matter, that means she would be displaying powers far exceeding anything she's displayed in the past. We have this fanboy moment where Monica is theorizing that Wanda could have taken out Thanos on her own. Mm. Uh, no one else has come close. Wu says the Captain Marvel also came close. And Darcy notes that her powers also came from the Infinity Stone. Monica quickly changes the subject. Yep. Uh, I think there's some interesting things here. I don't think this is just a fun fanboy moment for Marvel fans. I think that, first of all, Monica changing the subject when Captain Marvel comes up. Like, why is that? Is that because she hasn't seen her since she was a child and feels abandoned by her? Or what do you guys think? Is she wondering why... Carol isn't there to talk to her and hasn't been there for a few weeks to yeah. talk to her about the fact that her mom is gone. Is she wondering, did Carol come visit her mom or leave her mom to be alone? You know, in the two years between when Monica vanished and Maria died, certainly there are questions about that. And maybe Monica to some extent feels like either she and or her mother were abandoned by Carol, and maybe that's what's going on here. Or maybe it's something else. I don't know. Maybe something happened when Monica was out in space between her and Captain Marvel. I, I don't really know. Um, but seeing as how a lot of this, and I think what gives Monica such an in for how Wanda's feeling in general is obviously it's easy enough for Monica to empathize with Wanda because Monica is in the midst of her own grief of losing her mother. And so I feel like it's going to be tied to that. It's somewhere it's tied to somewhere in this experience of losing her mother and feeling like uh, Carol just wasn't around enough. Hmm. And, I want to uh, know how Monica knew that Wanda could have taken out Thanos. Like Monica got snapped away, right? So she got snapped back into reality, you mm -hmm. know, seconds before the, the giant battle at the end of Endgame. So, like, how does a debriefing of that battle happen? It was somebody sitting up on a ridge somewhere, writing out a play-by-play -play and, like, dispersing it to, like, you know, government agencies later. Like, okay, so then uh, Star-Lord does this. And then, right. you know, <laughs> like, how, how does she know I mean, that Wanda could have taken her out? The world knows that Tony Stark is dead. The world somehow thinks that Captain America is dead. So 
there was like some version of this battle that was communicated. And also there were a ton of people on that battlefield who survived. So plenty of people who could have shared information. Um, and there would have been curiosity as to, to me, it's not that big of a leap. Somebody yeah. would have communicated various it, it, things that happened in the battle. And that was one of the high points. We almost had Thanos beat Wanda had him. And then this happened. And then Tony had to steal the stones and snap his yeah. fingers and die. I agree it's not that big of a leap, but I agree with Ben that why not give that line to someone who wasn't blipped away? Who or somebody know? who was there, like, yeah. I mean, the, you know, or, incorporating yeah. somebody who was there seems hard, uh, yeah. like, yeah. yeah, it would be tough in this context. But anyway, well, that's just a stupid yeah. nitpick that I wanted to bring up. <laughs> well, Monica's yeah. been in space, so maybe Howard the Duck told her. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> okay. Uh, what do we think is going on with Infinity Stones? I know, Sean, I, I've already talked to you about this. I wanted to hear from you ben because they keep on bringing i don't know they keep on coming up they came up in this conversation of like oh both of those characters got their powers from the infinity stones like do you think that's just a fun thing for fans or do you think this is going to add up to something uh, I have no clue, to be completely frank. Uh, the, that whole thing, see, and like I think the email that you read earlier, something about like the the you know stones have been snapped away, but like the mist of them still exists or whatever. Like the, all of that is so far above my head because I'm not like invested in the Marvel comics or the lore in anything other than just like seeing these movies once or twice or something and then moving on to the next one. So yeah. uh, I. I don't know. And if they try to do something like that, I feel like they're going to have a lot of actual like uh, logic explaining and rule explaining to do. And that always seems a little ponderous and like it grinds things to a halt. And I feel like they would want to go out of their way to avoid doing that under any circumstances that, you know, that they can. So uh, I, I don't, I'm I don't not, need, I don't know. You need to explain much because like in our right. universe, then like when uh, a star explodes, like that, that, the, the, that nothing goes away it's still in the universe do you know what i mean like every am i am i right about that <laughs> like maybe i'm getting science wrong but every atom still exists just in different um, forms I, yeah yeah i don't know you're asking the wrong person i'm not i don't uh i don't have as a deep a knowledge base as i should of um astrophysics and <laughs> yeah. things like that anyways i believe that's how it is and it, there was that line in from uh who was it uh, that told Banner that basically they need to exist to, for that was the universe. ancient one. Yeah. yeah, the ancient one. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know. I, yeah, I, if you remove, it up. yeah, if you remove them from the timeline entirely, then that creates a problem. So you would it begs the question in Endgame. Well, if the other stones were destroyed, how has that not completely derailed that timeline? And the answer has to be that they were reduced to atoms, meaning they still exist. They're not. It's not the same thing as being completely pulled out of a timeline to where there is really and truly nothing left, not a single atom from the infinity stones. Mm. But I don't think they're doing all of this and they're bringing these things up for the purpose of having some long winded explanation of how it all works. I actually think this is establishing the shorthand. Hey, don't you kind of remember that infinity stones have given people powers in the past? Cool. We're going to remind you of that. Cause we're probably going to do it again in this show. Thanks. Mm. Um, like I, I really think that's the reason why okay. they're doing these things is like, Here's a quick little shorthand, a cheat sheet of things that have happened before. So there's a logic that tracks as these things happen again. Do you th do you have a theory about like who is going to get powers? Do you think it's just Monica and it's as simple as that? Or do you think there's more? I, I think Monica probably already has her powers and maybe just hasn't discovered what they are yet. 
And there's a chance with that show coming out on Disney Plus this year and happening in the same state, there's definitely a, a strong chance that Kamala Khan, Miss Marvel, maybe not a strong chance, there's a chance that Kamala Khan maybe gets her powers as a result of this radiation, which is being contained, but also has the threat of expanding. And it doesn't have to expand that far to reach Kamala Khan in her world. Mm, yeah, that's right. By the way, uh, you know, us seeing that that footage from the breaking break in at the Swords facility makes me wonder, do you think we'll ever get an episode of this show later in the season, which is a is a prequel episode where we actually get to see the series of events that brought us to this point? Or do you think it's going to be explained to us? Oh, we will definitely see that scene because we get a camera view of like in the room, not security camera footage, but like actual TV footage that we're going to see. That's in one of the pre that's in like one of the mid season previews oh. that they put out last week is Wanda with her, you know, hex powers coming out of her hands, like descending down into that room as we see her do in the security footage. So we'll see that, that we will see that scene go down and, and learn the how and why. And as I said, it's all Hayward's fault. I always love when a TV show does that where like it has a whole season and then like the next to the, uh, I guess penultimate episode is like a flashback to before that season that like brings everything in perspective for the finale. And I would be that'd be really cool if they did, did that. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if it'll be a, an entire episode flashback, but we will yeah. certainly flash back to that scene and learn yeah. the truth behind it. OK, so Monica realizes that her 70s outfit she escaped from the hex with it's actually still her bulletproof vest and caval- uh, her, what were they, like, bulletproof jeans or something? Yeah, like, her her entire outfit became Kevlar, like, her vest. And that's what I, I feel like is maybe, and this is totally me being too granular and reading way too much into it, so skip the next 45 seconds. But if you're still here, like, I, I think that... This is this might explain Wanda or not Wanda Monica getting her powers, right? Because Wanda did something to protect her. So what if that little force field that Wanda wrapped Monica up in to expel her from Westview is like what sticks to her as she goes through the barrier in the same way that like the Kevlar transformation remained for her clothing. So maybe that's the Marvel pseudoscience and using the word science generously uh, explanation of Monica getting her powers. By the way, when I was doing my research for this episode, I, I, I'm always proud when I have a thought that I have not found when I was like searching Twitter and stuff. And this is one I did not see. Um, maybe her necklace, which was the sword necklace, was actually her sword name badge that transformed into necklace. Oh, maybe. Yeah. So anyways, not that it matters, but I, I just thought that was a, it would be a cool thing. Uh, Monica wonders what happens if we send something in that requires no change. Um, I love here that we're learning more about how this world works and how things are working in, you know, a greater depth, because I I really feel uh, that with a, a Marvel thing at points, you really don't need to explain some of this. And I really appreciate that they are going to explain the mm-hmm. stuff because this is the stuff that like I get fixated on. So uh, it okay. also points to things getting easier for sword, right? Because as the, as we progress through the decades, we get closer to modern times, which means there's more and more technology that's still going to be around and available from oh. these various time periods in order to get inside of Westview. Although 
minus you know the the big truck that's like crashing into the barrier later um, well i was gonna say you know let, let's skip to this right now at the, the end of the episode wanda goes back into the hex and there's this big moment that's played as a big moment of like this red wall that surrounds mm-hmm. the hex and on my first feeling i was like why are they playing this off like it's a big moment like maybe it's a big moment because like she's this evil villain but then on my second viewing of it, I was thinking maybe she has created a greater force field around the hex. That's right. what the red wall is. So I'm wondering if they can even send anything inside the hex anymore. That's a good point. Cause yeah, the, you know, we do see that something else is like tr- later in another preview is like trying to crash into it and can't quite get through. So yeah, maybe, maybe by exposing that weakness, like now they've given Monica uh, or not Monica, Wanda, the reason to basically solve for that. So yeah, maybe those things won't be as available to them anymore. Okay, so we go to Vision's workplace, which is computational services, and it now has an, a cool 80s style sign outside, and they have just gotten computers and get a uh, their first electronic mail, a top yeah. secret email from Darcy on her findings uh, on Wanda. And the workplace thinks the email, everybody's reading it. They think it's so funny, but Vision is really concerned. And he uses this moment to touch Norm and unlock his real self. Norm says Vision has to stop her. She's in his head. None of his thoughts are his own. He's trying, you know, he's frantically trying to like call his family. Now we're like finally seeing, you know, (laughs) the casualty of the situation, I think, of, of these people. But I, I do want to bring up a crazy theory here. Norm says Vision has to stop her. Mm-hmm. He never says Wanda. He says her. True. So I'm wondering, could there be a twist here headed up that it's not Wanda that he needs to stop, but it's actually Agatha Harkness, a.k.a. Uh, what's her name? Uh Agnes. Agnes, Agnes, sorry. I keep on messing up the names. Uh, What do you guys think of, Ben, what do you think of that theory? Um, I'll defer to Sean on that one. (laughs) Um, There's interesting things happening here with Agnes that have me just no idea, uh, have me thinking there's, I I can't solve for Agnes at this point. (laughs) Wanda is obviously summoning Agnes, which points to, and and every time Agnes has provided her with some form of help, she needs to plan for an event with her husband, special occasion, even though she doesn't know what that special occasion is, and probably doesn't know that she summoned Agnes in that instance, but she's clearly been summoning Agnes in this episode when she's needed help, which points to these two characters having some understanding when all of this started. Even though Wanda is surprised by Agnes breaking the reality she's still completely comfortable around Agnes doesn't mind showing her true self or anything like that. And so it points to there being some sort of deal and what's in it for Agnes. I don't actually think with this episode, um, Agatha Harkness is not really evil in the comic books. So that's why I was never really into this idea that Agnes is the bad guy here. I mean, they can always change things when they adapt in the MCU, of course, but this episode, Agnes seems to want to help Wanda in processing grief with the whole bit with the dog. And then also wants to um, maybe need some other form of help. Like when it talks about like undoing people being dead, Agnes is like, you can do that. 
Um, is that what Agnes is hoping to get out of this? Is there somebody she hopes Wanda can bring back for her, be that Ralph or be that her own children or whatever that is? There seems to be some understanding that was made between these two characters at the beginning of this whole thing. Um, but that doesn't necessarily, but they may both be responsible because in, in terms of the way they have been victimizing other people. Vic, uh, Vision, by the way, is also a little responsible because I appreciate that he really needed Norm to shut up. But that poor guy explained how much pain he's in when when that stuff is happening. And Vision put him right back in it. Uh, so <laughs> I wasn't really uh, on yeah, board with yeah. that. But I also know that, you know, the less Norm knows, probably the less danger he's in, uh, less immediate danger he's in as far as being killed. Okay, so Monica is able to send an 80s era drone into Westview to Wanda's home. Wanda has framed the drone out of the broadcast. Monica tries to communicate with Wanda and Hayward tells them to take a shot. Uh, she, I guess she didn't know that I was armed or didn't know that Hayward was going to do that. I don't know why we're trusting Hayward at this point, but um, we're not. Before, yeah. Before, <laughs> before they can alarm. Uh, a bit, b- b- eh, sorry. At that point, the alarms go off and they're blaring that there's a breach, which actually sounds weird because there it hasn't been breached yet. But anyways, they run out to the, to the the wall of the hex and uh oh i didn't want to mention that while they're running out of the the compound to go to the wall of the hex we see on the television broadcast that please stand by card that we see at the end of Mm -hmm. each episode so it's kind of a cool uh nod to that uh so wanda is godlike she walks through the energy field dragging a missile and she throws it towards hayward uh, tons of sword agents have their laser sights on her, and Hayward explains that the missile was just a precaution. I don't know, a precaution for what? But uh, Wanda talks in her Sokovian accent. Yep. W- when's the last time we've heard this? Episode three. She oh, has. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, she has her accent when she says Pietro's name and then obviously sings uh, Sokovian lullaby. And, and that actually is not an uncommon thing that if people drop an accent over time trying to blend in or for whatever reason they do as Wanda was trying to blend in and learn spy games being a secret Avenger and all that stuff um, that yeah when when she gets mad and she's just being real that the accent comes back she tells him to stay out and she won't bother them even though she's clearly holding an entire town hostage Uh, Wanda is surprised to see Monica is still there why is she surprised to see her there? Did she think that maybe she killed her by throwing her or I think maybe that means something to Wanda. Like I did this to you and you didn't run away. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe that's what it is. I don't know. Um, I don't. Monica certainly believes that she was protected by Wanda as violent as that ejection was. Monica <laughs> believes that Wanda project, uh, protected her to some extent. Um, and I think Monica's probably right about that. So I don't necessarily I don't necessarily think that Wanda is surprised to see Monica alive. I don't think she intended to get her out of Westview. I don't think she intended to kill her. Yeah. Uh, Monica tries to reason with Wanda. But Wanda says that she has everything she wants and no one will ever take it from her again. She walks off, causes the agents to aim at Hayward. By the way, at this moment, I was like, Sean's so right. He's (laughs) he's going to get killed like this soon in. But they don't fire Uh, She walks back in the hex. The wall is glowing red. Uh, We talked about how this could be possibly a force field of some kind to prevent anything going in. Um, Why didn't she kill Hayward when she could have? I guess 
maybe she's not as evil as right they're building her up to be uh right now we got a, a commercial time we got the same actors the mom tries to mop up a spill with a thin paper towel she needs uh lagos brand paper towels uh lagos for when you make a mess you didn't mean to which i i think you already accurately summed up what the meaning of that is Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to point out, I think I mentioned last week that there's a theory that these commercials are connecting to the Infinity Stones, which I'm not sure I quite buy it. But, the, you know, the toaster had like the glow of the Mind Stone, the Strucker watch, uh, you know, has to do a time time stone. Hydra so- soak box was blue and was in the shape of the Tesseract and the Lagos logo is a red color similar to the reality stone. So is there anything here? I don't know. Probably not. Possibly. Who knows? I guess possibly. I mean, it's another more obscure version of Wanda's trauma. But I think if we're looking more specifically at the things we know that happened, that would be subconsciously like impacting her and and manifesting themselves as ads. It's really more these specific incidents as opposed to the stones, because her relationship with all the Infinity Stones isn't necessarily, I mean, by extension with Thanos. So you could say that her relationship with all of them is somewhat traumatic, but Really, only the Mind Stone is a you know specific and strong sense of trauma for Wanda in the way that the Stark missile was, Lagos was, and other things we'll see. So back in Westview, Wanda and the twins are looking for their lost dog. They're walking down the street. The mailman comments that their mom won't let them let him get a, get far, which I think is a cool joke because it's you know a joke that would be in a sitcom, and it's also indicator of Wanda being in control of everything but I, I wouldn't Ben let me ask you this because this mailman keeps showing up and he's the one character that keeps showing up that I don't understand like why he keeps showing up he seems to have like these weird pointless interactions and I feel like this is a setup for something do you have any ideas I feel like he might be uh you know, he, he tends to show up when Agnes is around. So maybe he's like a lackey of hers or something. Um, there's that moment in one of the earlier episodes where he says, like, don't shoot the messenger. And they they have a little interaction. And I think as soon as right after the kids pass him in the street here, they run into Agnes. So maybe he's just always sort of in her orbit. I, I'm not sure of anything else beyond that. Sean, do you have any take on the mailman? He definitely seems a little more like upbeat and kind of sad as I mean, you could just say that's a friendly mailman um, as he's been. But yeah, there's I don't know. He, he there's certainly a vibe that kind of came across in this episode. He he did make it onto the board this week. I actually can't remember if he had a driver's license on that or not. So I'll have to go back and look. Um, but he's he was identified and on the board this week, which he had okay. not been uh, as of last week. Um, but there is another Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. connection because Amos Glick, who played him, was also in the last season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That's not a connection. That's just a guy getting work. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I it definitely feels like there could be more there for him. OK, so Agnes found the dog in the bushes dead. Uh, the twins she, are upset. Uh, well, first of all, she has these poisonous flowers, right? Flowers? Right. I don't know. That sounds like something a witch, a witch would have. Um, <laughs> Ward, oh, yeah. did she kill the dog? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe she's trying to make the twins upset so that they'll increase in age. Maybe that, you know, no, maybe that's... I, it felt like because of the way the scene 
plays out. And you could say you can't trust Agnes at all because, you know, she was supposedly terrified in, in front of Herb and maybe she wasn't really terrified in front of Herb, like wondering what Monica was doing inside the house and, and Herb was about to tell Vision the truth of Westview. So maybe this is also, um, and we don't know that that was fake, but maybe this is another staged emotional response where Agnes is acting, but there would be a purpose for it if Agnes is trying to help Wanda. Like Wanda is doing this in response to escaping. It's her way of escaping her trauma, not dealing with her grief, not feeling with feelings that not dealing with feelings that she doesn't want to feel. So maybe in Agnes is creating this instance, and I don't necessarily think that she murdered the dog, but if she sees that the dog is dead, that maybe if she helps inspire Wanda to have this conversation with her kids about grief and loss, that maybe in the process of Wanda educating her kids about it, Wanda might actually be talking to herself about it and getting herself in a, a healthier place to process all of the things that she clearly needs to process and is trying to escape from in Westview. So it might might have been emotional help here. That's what I thought might have been going on. But one of the things that that sort of left me cold about this episode is it it seems like there's a perfect setup for exactly what you're talking about. But it doesn't seem like Wanda has the self-awareness to internalize that lesson that she is imparting on these kids. She seems completely unchanged and unfazed by this thing, which like is so blatantly a connection to what she, she is experiencing as well. Right. So I I just feel like, okay, you could, or, and maybe the show will kick the can a little bit further down the road and have her deal with that later. But I think one of the things that was great to me about the first couple episodes of the show was that it all, each episode felt really self-contained in that great way that those old sitcoms did where like a problem was introduced and solved and status quo was uh, restored. And this, it's like this problem within the sitcom world is introduced, but it's not solved yet. And I feel like because it's set in the eighties and it's not set later on when serialized television was more of a thing, that's that incongruity or whatever is it, it strikes a wrong note for me. Um, it, it doesn't fit in with the sitcom vibe and it's not like a satisfying conclusion to an arc. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what the grander picture is there, but just on an episode by episode level, which is like how we have to take the show as it's being doled out. I, I felt uh, a little disappointed by that. I think that's fair. I think the reason why it doesn't bother me, I mean, I do... I do feel that sense of not so much the complete resolution of a problem. Like I understand that we're beyond that point in the show. And and so this is, it's going to be more difficult for Wanda to pretend that everything is a self-contained inconvenience that is resolved by the end of the show. I don't think she's able to do that anymore. Um, you know, if she, even if she wanted to, I, I think she's just not in control as much control as she has. She's not in control enough to maintain that all the time. I do miss not quite having as much, fun in the sitcom world because like that's the biggest thing that was missing for me was like i there's no there's not really jokes in this anymore outside of a few very tired you know babies are crying and parents are tired jokes like there's not or or even like set pieces or anything right yeah like we're definitely not there's not really much of a balance and maybe that's just because they feel like that balance is impossible but they definitely felt like uh, we're we're in the sitcom world, but sitcom things aren't really happening here anymore. Um, and maybe that's just the way the show is now. But after getting that, that's a more maybe it's a more personal sense of disappointment for me from a generational standpoint. It's like, well, 
I, of course, have seen all the classic sitcoms of the 50s, 60s and 70s, but like the bread and butter that I grew up with are the 80s and 90s sitcoms. And so now as the 80s and 90s kid, I'm feeling shortchanged and, and I'm entitled and I should be seeing the things that I want to see. Um, but no, like it, it's I get why this is going the way that it's going, but it's also it's putting the show is putting itself in a position where even though it makes sense within the narrative, there are certain elements that I would like to see that just don't get to show up. Yeah, no, I agree with everything you both said. Uh, so the twins here, they're upset and they ask their mom to fix the dead dog. And she says, no, Wanda tells them that we can't reverse death, no matter how sad it makes us, that some things are forever. And Sean, you're, you're saying that this is a lesson that she has learned. I think it's a lesson. I, I think it's a lesson that she knows, but is not applying to herself. And I think that, I think Agnes is hoping that Wanda will make the connection. Like if, if Wanda explains this to her kids and helps them deal with this and confront this in a healthy way, that Wanda will be able to do that. And unfortunately, Wanda doesn't make that connection. Should she? Yes, but we know that she's pretending a lot of things aren't real and don't necessarily apply to her. And she would not be the first person in the history of the world to not take her own emotional advice. So uh, I, I don't really, so I understand what I think, I think Agnes's goal is sound, and I think that's what she is trying to do, is to get Wanda to, by association, connect these things back to herself, but Wanda is still blocking that. This is an interesting take on it, because I feel like when I saw it, I just took it at face value of her saying that it's impossible to bring things back from the dead, which then asks, you know, it's the question earlier that uh, Wu and Darcy were like, you know, how you know, if she doesn't have the mind, like the one of the infinity stones, like how did she bring vision back from the dead? And I felt like this is a, this is the show answering that question of Wanda herself admitting that there is no way to bring someone back from the dead. So what does that mean for vision is, is, is how I was taking. Well, vision says he has no memories before Westview. So whatever she's brought back is an entirely visions either she has or somehow his memories are blocked or he doesn't have them because that's not him it's not the same dude um you know and and we also don't know that she brought him back entirely by herself i mean is sword gonna get 12 percent of the credit to use marble percentages like because they were working on him when she grabbed him um and shuri laid the foundation for it by saving her work in wakanda so did Sword take what Shuri started and advance it a bit more, and then Wanda put on the finishing touches? We don't know. Yeah. Okay. So later at home, Vision tells or tries to tell Wanda that she talked to he talked to Norm and felt his pain, but she just wants to move on. She just wants to let's go in the other room, watch TV, and he says she can't control him like she does them, and she responds, "Can't I?" And instead of having the argument, I think this is the most brilliant part of the sitcom aspect of this episode was Wanda decides to roll the credits. And it's brilliant because, well, it's brilliant to use that as like, this is how I'm ending the argument, you know, roll the credits. And then Vision won't let the episode end and he just keeps on arguing. And then uh, he asks, he asks about the Maximoff anomaly. Uh, which I, I was that wording from the email. I'm guessing it must have been right. 
Uh, I can't remember the I exact mean, phrasing of the email, but yeah, it, yeah, I mean that that must be what he's referring to. Well, we heard we heard Hayward refer to this event as the Westview anomaly. Um, so yeah, maybe the Maximoff anomaly is somewhere in that email. I'd have to go back and look. Yeah, he wants to know: was it subconscious at first? Vision gets so angry. He actually believes that's what it was. He, you know, he he's already yeah. kind of assumed that it it started out as subconscious, but. Regardless of how it started, Wanda has since become aware. Yeah. And he gets so angry that the credits stop and he transforms himself in his true self. And he's upset uh, that she's imprisoning all these people. They both rise into the air in offensive stances like they're going to, you know, really have a battle. And, uh, you know, Wanda conjuring up her red orbs or whatever you want to call that. Uh, Wanda says... All of this is for us. And Vision asks, what's outside of Westview? And she says, he doesn't want to know. What, what What does that mean? I mean maybe he doesn't want to know because for Vision, there's there's nothing outside of Westview. Yeah, because he's dead outside, I guess. Yeah. Uh, Vision um, I, just looked, I just looked it up, Peter. It does say Maximoff Anomaly on yeah. the email. So, Okay. I, um, I didn't check that in my second viewing. And I was thinking, like, how did he know about the... Maybe if... Wanda, or maybe I'm sorry, if Vision leaves Westview, maybe Sword is able to control him. Oh, yeah. Um, maybe whatever they were working on, like he is shielded from that control by being inside of Westview, but outside of Westview, he's going to become that living weapon that he doesn't want to be. Yeah. So Vision mentions, as you, you mentioned before, that he doesn't remember his life before Westview, which to me is like, you know, audiences at home, you know, that's a question that you need to be asking yourselves. Um, and uh, the next thing he says, do is, we remember life before WandaVision? Is that what you're <laughs> <laughs> uh, vision wonders why there are no other children in Westview. And it, th that's something I've been wondering. I know we touched on it in mm -hmm. a past episode, but like if she transformed this town into what you wanted it to be like are there children playing adult character like or did the children just get killed or what happened to the children because there must have been children in this town right i mean i don't think she pulled an anakin so i don't think the kids are dead but they are maybe they're in some other pocket dimension and maybe that's what it was is maybe deep down wanda knows that what she's doing is harmful and the children are innocent. And so she's removed them from that reality. But then of course could presumably be brought back when this is all going to be resolved. Um, is that why everybody is chanting for the children is they actually weren't performing a ritual to have <laughs> help Wanda have children, but they were like begging for their children back. Uh, is that what's happening? I, I honestly don't know, but yeah, now that vision has clocked it, like, yeah, this clearly means something that, we have that children are absent from Westview. So Wanda argues that she doesn't have the power to control everyone and everything in Westview. Ben, you said that you think that's just like a def deflective statement that like, that's not true. She doesn't believe that. Like, well, I don't know. I think Sean's convinced me. I think, I think she has some power, but I do think maybe um, at least it would be a huge jump, right? Going from the power that we've seen her display in the MCU movies to the power. I mean, I think because Monica specifically calls it out and says like, this would require such a huge amount of concentration or power or whatever. I, I think 
maybe it makes more sense for her to be able to uh, tweak things and rewind time and whatever, like, con- you know, control some aspects of it. But maybe somebody like Agnes or whatever has um, a larger uh, spell over the whole thing that is sort of like keeping the the engine running a little bit so she doesn't have to do all that work mentally herself. But then Wanda also admits that she doesn't know how any of this started in the first place. And that that's the most interesting bit of this to me. Is she lying here or maybe she's trying to play to like vision statement of like maybe this was started subconsciously in some way? Is she trying to appease him or is that actually true? That I she think, doesn't. Yeah, I, I think there's some truth to that. I maybe and maybe it's all true in that she doesn't remember how this started, but not remembering how it started doesn't absolve her of responsibility because maybe what she doesn't remember is that she made a deal, Um, you know, like which which is a comic book thing that she has made a deal with Mephisto and and not remembered. Did she make did that happen? I don't know. The deeper we get into the show and we're not seeing things and I'm like, "Ah, I'm starting to doubt all the Mephisto and and high evolutionary theories a bit. But um, unless there's some other twist which is of course always possible but um if she made some deal with agnes for example ahead of time then maybe subconsciously that's why she's always summoning agnes agnes for help um not knowing that she's uh and that's why she's confused by agnes breaking the reality is like yeah it's a deal of the two of them working together and wanda just has no memory of that part of it yeah i will say this from a screenwriting perspective usually you plan things in three acts so if you have a season of nine episodes, the first three episodes are kind of like the first act. And as you saw in the end of this first act, you know, we saw Geraldine get thrown out of the hex and like it opened this bigger world. I feel like, you know, we're on the fifth episode and the next episode is the sixth episode. And I mm-hmm. think at the end of that, we're going to have some kind of big event that's going to twist us. It's going to twist this thing even more what that is i don't know quite yet but right um okay uh let's unpack what's what happens at the end of this episode so the doorbell rings vision at first thinks that she caused it but wanda insists that she didn't uh in in the vision and scarlet witch graphic novel this happens and she opens the door and it's her father uh in this version of events in the show she opens the door and on the other side is her brother but it's a different version of her brother. It's the version of her brother from the X-Men films. It's Quicksilver from the X-Men films. And Darcy even notes out loud that they they, they recast her brother. Mm-hmm. But Wanda doesn't like, I mean, Wanda's obviously surprised that he's alive, but she's not like, this isn't my brother. She hugs him. So, Okay. <laughs> What is going on here? Ben, what what do you think is going on here? Um man, this is tough to talk about. Uh I I have no idea. It, it, like what is actually going on, I think is uh Disney has acquired Fox right. and they are now able to <laughs> include X-Men characters in uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe and Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness is going to open up uh multiverses in a major way in the MCU and this is just a bridge to that movie. Um, in terms of like, so, think, so yeah, I think, think that's the a multiverse thing. Like, is this a character from another multiverse or are we in another multiverse or I don't know. My first thought is like, it's the whole, like 
monkey paw scenario where like you wish for something and then the things come true, but not in the way you wanted them to come true. Mm-hmm. To um, deal with that, that might, yeah, that might be true. I, I think we just have no idea. Like, I think this episode <clears throat> was specifically designed to end on this tantalizing note and leave us with 1.5 billion questions and like no hint at what is actually really going on beyond just, Hey, that's a different version of this Quicksilver character than the one that we've previously seen in the MCU. So in terms of like what is actually happening with the narrative and like what might happen in the next episode, I literally could not tell you, I have no idea where, where they're going with it. I think just the existence of Evan Peters in this show is the thing for right now. And I, I personally found that moment, which I know like, you know, the, the internet and I'm sure I'm going to get like raked over the coals for this. And even probably on this very episode, but just like people, you know, go nuts for stuff like this. And I just found it to be so um, exhausting and like not, uh, not illuminating or um, exciting, just like, Oh, okay. I guess I guess we're doing this now. So, okay, here we go. I I suppose uh, we're off to the races now. Um, I just I don't know. M- maybe there was a better way to get me excited about the blending of these two universes, but uh, the execution here and and again, I don't know if this was something that was uh, planned to be rolled out in a way different way, and the COVID threw everything off, or and this is just like Marvel making the best of it, or if this was the intention from the beginning. Um, but I, I did not, uh, respond to that reveal in the way that, uh, Marvel studios and Disney plus wanted me to. I I have some friends and I've seen some chatter online of people that didn't even understand that it was Quicksilver from the X-Men films. They just thought, I think that's a big part of, of the problem is because it requires so much metatextual information. And like, if you had just seen only the Marvel studios movies, you would literally have no idea who that is or why it's important. And Dave Chen and I were talking about this on Instagram live earlier today. And like, he brought up the whole like Benedict Cumberbatch is con in star Trek into darkness thing that like requires this extra knowledge and and puts that burden on the audience for understanding a reveal that happens within the world. And, you know, I don't want to make it seem like he was equating these two things. Exactly. He, he pointed out several differences in, in terms of like how the storytelling is working in, in those two properties. But um, I think the general sentiment behind that connection is true like that there is uh it's asking a lot um you know already we the marvel cinematic universe just as a contained series is already expanding out and in huge ways with these disney plus shows and all the things that they've announced and you know we're 20 what four or five movies in or something at this point and there are going to be several coming really really quickly soon i just think it's a lot to ask of general audiences to keep all of the stuff in their heads um and of course this may play out in a way that uh is completely narratively satisfying over the course of the next episode the next several episodes whatever but just as a moment that disney and marvel like clearly um you know uh designed in a lab to be the most talked about moment of WandaVision thus far, I found it to be um, very uh, like strategic and calculating instead of emotionally resonant. See, I I don't disagree with that statement. I obviously brought up that concern. Uh, I will say to, you know, the David Chen argument, (laughs) um, 
that like you know when Th- Thanos showed up at the end of Avengers, you know ninety nine percent of the audience in the theater did not know who that guy was. Right. So I I would take this as this is like an episode. This is like a you know this is like a Marvel movie where at the end and end credits someone shows up and you have to go home and like be like who's Thanos like you know and look up that information and kind of do some work. Uh, I don't think this is like a, a the same as like the twist in the middle of Star Trek Into Darkness. Um, I, I don't want to mischaracterize Dave's uh, point, yeah. so um, that, that I don't I don't think he was saying it was exactly the same thing. But I just feel like uh, yes, I, I understand what you're saying that you know a lot of the Marvel movies, maybe to their detriment, uh, require people to go home and like stand outside of a theater back when theaters were open and Google things and be like, what the hell is this? And I think maybe a case could be made that like the movies themselves should do a better job of introducing this stuff and not necessarily relying on explainer culture to, uh, to, you know, as a crutch for, for its own storytelling. And then, you know, you got to wait two years to see that character actually appear in a movie where he he interacts with people in a significant way. Um, so yes, I, I agree that there is a, uh, a precedent here for this kind of thing in Marvel storytelling, but I just, this one feels especially egregious because it's an existing, you know, it requires an added layer of knowledge. It's not just, oh, who is that guy? Uh, they recast him, whatever. It's it's like, you know, this is literally another character who theoretically has a whole other set of experiences and uh, relationships and dynamics with people that are, is now being brought in in this way and we don't explore it at all in this episode it's just to get people talking and I just found it to be um, kind of uh, I don't know a little crass but Sean I don't think we've heard from you really in, in a while wait, so wait, what, did, what did you make of all wait, this? Before Sean says what he's going to say I just want to say one other thing I also feel like there's no way to explain it in this episode there's no way to set right. this up there's no way to be like there's the X-Men in another universe and there's another version of quick, like there's literally no way. And there's no way for Darcy to be to say that either. Like, I think there is a way. I think, you know, somebody opens a portal and walks in and, you know, the word multiverse could be thrown around. I mean, not in the context of this uh, episode as it exists up until, you know, 30 seconds before that doorbell rings. But I think if you want to uh, lay a track for this moment, there is a way to do it that doesn't require, um, what that doesn't require the ask of the audience that this show is making, but that's just me. Okay, Sean, I know you've been waiting this whole time. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? I don't think the audience is being asked to know who this is and know his full backstory from the Fox X-Men films. I, I think what Marvel does very well is they allow the audience to different members of the audience to engage with these stories on different levels. And so I think there's a level of satisfaction or at least curiosity to be attained through, uh, through this scene, regardless of your knowledge level. So whether you're an obsessive fan like me or just a reasonable human being, I think there's ways to still have fun and, and be able to enjoy what's happening here. So if you are somebody who is well-versed in the material and you know when you see it, uh, whether it's the audio de- or you hear it via the audio description or you just see it, yes, that's Evan Peters. He played Quicksilver in a different universe. And that's this has to mean something that's tied into that. Or if you have no idea about that, because the only Marvel movies you watch are the MCU movies, then 
you you don't know this character's backstory, but you're given the information that you need that's relative to the characters that you're supposed to be focusing on. The focus of this series is Wanda and Vision, and even more specifically than that, certainly more emphasis on Wanda at this point. And so you know that she they've told you she has a brother, her brother's gone, and now her brother's back, but it's not really her brother. And they confirm that for you by saying that this that he's re, he's been recast. And so you have that question as an audience member. What does that what does that mean? She's now seeing a different version of her brother. So this is a this is not she's not really getting exactly what she wants. I think that's clear to you whether you know the backstory of this version of Quicksilver or not. If you do know the backstory, guess what? I know it and I still don't know what this means. Do, do I know for sure that this means that we have effectively built the bridge between the MCU and the Fox X-Men universe? Maybe we have, maybe we haven't. You know, this in and of itself could be a misdirect. So no matter how much you know, you still have questions coming from this. And I think we're still supposed to have questions at this point in the show. Maybe it changes what questions you're asking, but you, we all understand the same basic point in that Wanda only kind of has her brother back, but not really. I think you're right. I, I think you've sold me on this, Sean. I think for a general audience that hasn't seen the recent X-Men films, this moment at the end of the episode is shocking because it's her brother back from the dead, but it's being played by a different actor. Yeah. Like, and even if you didn't see Aaron and don't know that Aaron Taylor Johnson played Quicksilver, they tell you that he's been recast. So, you know, whether you've seen even previous MCU films, you are told that this is not the brother that she lost. Hmm. No, I, I, I think that's right. And I think we'll, I, I think we'll learn that he's from the X-Men at some point in the series, how that's going to work. Do you have any, any theories on how this is going to all work out? I hope it's what Sean just said, that it's a misdirect because that would make things a little bit more palatable uh, to me. Um, what do you mean by I, a misdirect? Well, I, I hope that maybe it's like just, uh, I don't know, you could say that maybe Agnes is um, is taking more control over what's going on in the hex and she is, uh, I don't know, maybe she, I, I'm not sure exactly how it would work, but um, some, some way where at the end of WandaVision, uh, the X-Men universe has not been um, completely integrated with the MCU yet. I feel like they're just, they're, they're, pushing that through a little bit quickly but again this is this is me just uh extrapolating based on you know whatever 20 seconds at the end of an episode i have no idea what they're going to do next week they could immediately retcon this or or you know go in a different way or that character could change appearances you know over the course of the next episode or something any number of things could happen so i I don't want to come down on this like i'm completely against the concept i just uh, the execution of it sort of rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. And I, I do want to note that this is something that was that leaked out, I think, a week or two ago. There was originally the an actor who voiced an international version of the the Quicksilver yeah. character for the X-Men films that what did he, he have a resume or something? Something came out that he was in one division. Something like that. And I, I think someone even scooped it last year that Evan Peters had been on set for WandaVision. Didn't know the role, but oh. knew that Evan Peters had been around. I didn't even see that. But and then there was some footage that leaked online 
last week as, as well. Uh, so there are some links out there. Uh, I, I don't know. I, ben, I, I, I think I agree with you. I don't think they're going to integrate the X-Men into the MCU this early. That Because like if you look at Marvel's lineup, which I'm sure Sean could go through all the dates and stuff like that. Right. Uh, you know, they, they, they've mentioned Fantastic Four, but they haven't mentioned X-Men or Mutant. Mm-hmm. And I feel like if you're introducing them at this point, you would have to follow that up much earlier, unless they're going to announce something in the current, like, you know. Right. I mean, years. let's remember that uh, Book of Boba Fett was withheld from Disney Investor Day and announced after the Mando season two finale. So the precedent has been set that they could have that there is stuff potentially that they've held on to until they reveal it on Disney Plus uh, that they don't necessarily announce at the same time that they're announcing other things. The, at this point, though, the only mutant movie that's been confirmed as in development at Marvel is Deadpool three. And even though Deadpool three is part of that Fox X-Men universe, it is and it isn't. And with a character like Deadpool, it's just very easy for him to just literally choose to go in a different reality with no other explanation than he tells you so when he breaks the fourth wall. So, and you can just play it as a joke because it's Deadpool. You don't have to seriously explain it like you would with the other characters. And I, I don't know if this is the real, true, like introduction of that or if this is something else. But I feel like there's going to be some sort of mutant multiverse connection to this because why Evan Peters? Like, yeah, you can recast Quicksilver with anyone who is not Aaron Taylor Johnson, but you chose a guy who specifically played Quicksilver Quicksilver before. And as it went down, though the Fox X-Men films were never as popular as the MCU, the Evan Peters Quicksilver was better liked than the Aaron Taylor Johnson Quicksilver, mainly thanks to the kitchen scene in X-Men Days of Future Past. But either way, it was a more popular turn on the character. So this is where Marvel is leaning into. Um, But we also don't, is this a character who's going to uh, this character was not born in Westview, as far as we know, like Tommy and Billy. So is is he going to be allowed to live outside of it? He may have already because there's like the same breach alarm that sounded earlier in the episode was playing as Darcy was running to the TV to find out what was going on, meaning that Quicksilver may have bre- may have come from outside of Westview and like literally run into it. Um, so I, I but is this also... And maybe Quicksilver can run so fast they can go through different multiverses. And he I mean, that's it's very flash. I don't know. I don't remember Quicksilver having that sort of speed force yeah. multiverse powers in the comics. Maybe he has, and I just missed it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's it's not typically what he does, but it is certainly possible. And I he mean, did I have. People, I see people wondering, like, well, he doesn't have a sister. He did. He had a sister in the Fox X Men universe. They were not the same age, um, but he did have a sister. So in that universe. Their relationship is a little bit different, but he does presumably have a sister named Wanda. Also interesting, though, is that this version of Quicksilver, I don't know if he's resurrected or just from the different universe, doesn't know who Vision is, but the dead version of Quicksilver would know who Vision was. Obviously, Vision has no memories before Westview. That's why he doesn't know who Pietro is. Uh, But Pietro should know Vision, and this version obviously doesn't, again, because he's either something completely fabricated or he's from another universe. I do tend to think that because we've already been told that this movie is going to lead into Doctor Strange Multiverse Madness, mm-hmm. that and we know that this upcoming phase of Marvel seems to be heavily dealing with multiverse, that yeah. the X-Men are not in, what, what, what do you call the MCU Prime universe at this point? 
I don't know. They need to give us a name for it, an official yeah. one. Uh, I, I, I actually have been going with like MCU Prime or MCU proper. Uh, it's pretty much what I have. Yeah. So I'm guessing he's from another multiverse and the X-Men exist in that other multiverse, just as like probably the right. Netflix characters and Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all, you know, all those things. Right. How they're going to explain that, I don't quite understand here and how it's, I don't know. Like, I, I don't know where... Well, there's a lot of stuff that has to happen. I mean, Patrick Stewart has said he's met with Kevin Feige. So, okay, great. Um, Hugh Jackman has remained adamant that he won't come back, even with the Fox deal. Now, you could say that he's just lying, but... No, but he said that before we learned last week that Ryan Reynolds said that he was pitching another Deadpool movie that was a him and Hugh Jackman road that's, trip. That's true. I mean... I don't know. I, I would say, look, there's no point in merging the Fox X-Men universe with the MCU unless you're getting Hugh Jackman. Like, that's the one that you need to get. If you don't, if you're not keeping the same iconic movie Wolverine, then why do you even need to go through all of these other leaps to make it happen? Um, so I guess maybe get excited. Don't, because maybe that's not what this is, but... Uh, I don't know. Yeah, when you know, when you hear about other stuff that's going on with Spider-Man 3 and other actors being involved, it certainly leads to, oh, we are just going to be merging some universes here in the MCU, which does give me mixed feelings. I, I know that I am like the leading defense attorney for all things that the MCU is criticized for, but um, even as somebody who loves this thing, uh, I love how self-contained I think it, most of it has actually been. Um, and I think the more they're tying into things that they haven't necessarily controlled and developed themselves, uh, the more opportunities there are for things to just kind of uh, slip through the cracks quality wise. But so far, I'm OK with what they have presented. For me, where it goes from here is, is that's how much how I feel about this scene isn't even going to be dictated with how I feel today. It's how I feel about it based on what they tell me next week and in the weeks to come right now. It's exciting because I liked Evan Peters as Quicksilver in the Fox X-Men universe. But until I know more precisely what this means, and I'm not just guessing, it's too early to know exactly how I feel about it. It's it's exciting possibilities, but I got to see what they intend to do here. You know, it's funny when you met, mentioned the, the book of Boba Fett in Disney Plus. I don't think it ever occurred to me until that moment. We, we've always been thinking about X-Men as this big you know, cinematic movie property. What if it is a Disney plus TV show? What if like, you know, I know Kevin Feige has been cagey and answering what of these series are planned as, you know, it's going to have multiple seasons and what are going to be like a mini series, a one and done. What if WandaVision is a one and done series? You know, it's a, one season miniseries mm -hmm. but it leads into a you know all uh the book of boba fett an x-men tv series also headed up by the same you know creative it could so i don't know that would be interesting to see x-men like an x-men tv series because i feel like that property always gets shortchanged by being on the big screen because there's so much like personal dynamics in that team and having those more hours to tell that story, I think, would be so much more beneficial for that for that franchise. But OK, uh, any theories for that we haven't touched on for upcoming episodes? Any speculation? I'm sure I could 
drum up like a thousand more based on what's <laughs> happening here. Um, I, I think we've pretty much covered what's out there. Uh, as I said, you know, just to summarize on a couple of the things, like I, I'm not having as much faith in Mephisto and in high evolutionary and like other unintroduced characters being uh, significant forces at play in this. I'm, I'm having less and less faith in that, those theories as the weeks go on. But of course, could be the postman. Could be the postman. Well, yeah, and and I think let's see where we're at with episode six. I think you're right in that if we look at this as a three act structure, we should know all of the players by the end of episode six, like in theory. Because if you try and say this was all Mephisto in like episode eight or nine, that's not going to be satisfying. Like you have to give us if there is a different antagonist here, then we need to be able to have an opportunity to start investing in that antagonist and actually caring about this person being there. So, or this devil or whatever it is. So I'm starting to feel like this is more contained to Wanda and Agnes. Um, but certainly there's the chance that this whole thing just blows up into something uh, that could be unmanageable with uh, Quicksilver and mutants. But I think whatever this is, they're going to find a way to kind of isolate and contain this instance of it with Wanda and her not brother. You know, my speculation already, Peter, this whole thing is going to center and hinge on Lavender, the thief from the 1940s. <laughs> uh, it's going to be so depressing when that happens in the next episode. But Okay. Uh, I, 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 are, are you still in on this, Ben? I know like it started off strong for you. And then you've kind of like, it seems like your interest in the show has kind of petered the last couple episodes. Yes, it is. It has Evan Peters a little bit. Yeah. Um, I think you could say that. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm going to keep watching it, uh, especially since we're already five episodes in. I think there's only what nine total. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm going to, I'm pot committed as they say. So I'm going to continue to watch the show. I just, um, I'm way more hesitant about it now. And especially after that final reveal of this, week's episode than i was after like seeing the first two episodes which, which i thought were like really well done and self-contained and maybe i don't know if they if they like nail the aesthetic and the tone and everything of like the 90s aspect of a sitcom if they do that in the next episode or if they give us another like marvel episode where like tyler hayward falls in a pit of piranhas or something because i really hate that character um then maybe i'll be more all in on it but uh as of now i guess i'm like half in <laughs> What 90s sitcom do you hope they emulate in the next episode? I mean, one of my favorites was Family Matters, but I, I don't know how you do that uh, in because that show is like so much actually about and, and same thing with like Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, which is also another big one in the 90s. Both of those shows are like so much about race and WandaVision is like one of the whitest shows on television. So I, I don't even know if they would if it would be wise to uh, to like remind people of those shows because then it just calls out like the the lack of diversity in front of the camera uh on on this series so um was Seinfeld 90s yes yeah oh yeah and and so that might be a big one maybe friends Um, yeah yeah what about you sean is there any 90s sitcoms you hope they play up i mean you certainly have to ramp up the sarcasm a la friends and Seinfeld. So like things are probably going to get very snarky, um, which would kind of back up where things are right now for Wanda. She probably is going to have a bit more of an edge in her humor next week. So, um, and I think in general, like whatever humor is still allowed to exist in the sitcom reality, which wasn't much, if any, in the eighties, we'll see what happens in the nineties, if they can get back to some sitcom stuff. But 
in the end, uh, I think Wanda is going to wake up in bed with Vision in Scotland, and this was all Newhart, so is probably the way this is ultimately going to go. <laughs> oh my God, that would be kind of incredible. You know what would have been funny for the 80s episode? Because I'm such a big fan of Elf. It would have been funny if there was just like this episode and they just had this weird alien living with them for no reason. They didn't explain it. <laughs> yeah. Missed opportunities. Definitely. Okay. It could have been, it could have been, um, it could have been, uh, uh, what's his name? The Duck. Oh, how are the duck? Howard the duck. Yeah, I don't know why I was blanking on that. Okay, that brings us to the end of today's Slash Film Daily. You can find more of all of our work at SlashFilm.com. You can find the MCU Fan Show. Where, where do you find that? At MCU Fan Show, wherever you're at, Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And then if you just search MCU Fan Show, wherever you get your podcast, you'll find it. Sean, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, you can find this podcast on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. Please feel free to send your like theories, feedback, uh, concerns, comments to Peter at Slashfilm.com. And please head on over to our iTunes page. Give us a five-star rating. You know, write us a sentence or two. That that helps people find this podcast. So it, it's so helpful in people finding it. Like it, the algorithm works on your reviews so if you could do that if you like this podcast please please go do that uh thanks for listening everybody and we'll see you on monday